Welcome, everyone. We are in prime form technically today. Thank you, Caleb and Susan. Uh, so today we are welcoming back Dr. Paul Alexander. It's a great day to have him back for a number of reasons. Just by coincidence, it turns out he was last here on January 11th, 2023. So it's exactly one year to the day that we have him in here. Uh, and it is on the heels of Dr. Fauci's interview in front of the House Subcommittee on Coronavirus in which he talked about the fact that uh, the six-foot social distancing was not scientific, it's just something that appeared Sh shocking that that goes on, that he continues to sort of uh, skate with that admission. Uh, and uh, what was the other one? There was some other thing that I didn't, did, I'm not sure he actually even said it, but we'll get to that and other, other things with Dr. Alexander, who's of course an epidemiologist. He was a research methodology teacher, assistant professor at McMaster University. Uh, he is an evidence-based medicines and research uh, a researcher, we'll get to his all his, his details, but he was there when many of these decisions were made at the NIH, and he will give us that report again and his new thoughts after this. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake, where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Are you one of the millions of American women and men dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in your family? Start 2024 with a real solution that delivers results without the harsh side effects or unwanted chemicals and no need for prescription. Provia uses a safe natural ingredient, Procapil, to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and hair loss. Susan has been using Provia for months and she loves it. I'm so happy because Provia is helping me grow longer, stronger, and shinier hair, especially up on top. In fact, Provia was created by the founder of Genucel, the makers of our favorite skincare products, so it is no surprise that she has seen amazing results. Right now, new customers save over 50%, plus free shipping. Every introductory package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia Serum for daily use, plus the Provia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Don't wait. Order now to save an extra 10% and get free shipping at ProviaHair.com forward slash Drew. That's P-R-O-V-I-A-H-A-I-R, ProviaHair.com slash D-R-E-W. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, as I was saying, Dr. Paul Alexander was at the Health and Human Services Department where he was a former senior advisor to COVID for COVID pandemic policy. Uh, as I said, he was there when many of these decisions were made. Um, the other thing I was trying to think of that Fauci had said 
was that the lab leak theory is no longer is not a conspiracy theory. It's shocking, shocking that he would say that. Uh, and finally, his quote actually was social distancing recommendations forced on Americans, quote, sort of just appeared uh, and were not science, but not based, likely not based on scientific data. Likely? Likely. I would just ask him to direct me towards one document, one document that substantiated six feet for an aerosolized virus. It's looking... You know, so many of these excesses that happened during COVID are looking worse and worse as time goes on. Uh, we know it's an aerosol, so we know that wearing a mask with a slight jet here that steams up your glasses is going to increase the aerosol and spread it further distances. You're not only not protecting somebody else, you are increasing the number of people you're going to expose. And that the surgical masks, because it's an aerosol, of course, spit, fluid, in inconsequential in the transmission of this particular respiratory virus. So Dr. Paul Alexander is an epidemiologist. He's a researcher. Uh, he's, uh, he has a PhD, uh, I believe in, will have to tell me whether, whether it's epidemiology or not. Please welcome Dr. Paul Alexander. What is your PhD in exactly? I don't have the information right here, Paul. Hi, Drew. Thanks for having me and your team once again. Tremendous show as always. And um, my uh, graduate training outside of, uh, so I did a graduate school master's at the University of Toronto in epidemiology. I went on to Oxford and did a graduate degree in evidence-based medicine and clinical epidemiology. I did some work at Johns Hopkins, a short certificate in biological warfare and epidemiology of it. But my doctorate is in evidence-based medicine from McMaster University in uh, Canada. And for those who don't know, people who go on to get into the research methods programs at Stanford, Yale, Harvard, are people who could not get into the McMaster program. The McMaster program is the seat of evidence-based medicine globally. My doctoral supervisor was a founder of evidence-based, anything to do with evidence-based research, Dr. Gordon Guyatt and Dr. Dave Sackett. So I did my postdoc with him also. And anything to do with research, research methods, randomized trials, observational studies, anything to do with research generally comes out of McMaster. And we, we constantly refine the process and refine the methods. So uh, that's my background training. But, um, you know, I'm very, very humble that you've had me here again. And... Um, Persons like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Rich, Dr. Marcus, myself, we um, we provide technical scientific support to the wellness company, TWC.health. Go to TWC.health, take a look at the website and what they offer. It's groundbreaking, uh, revolutionary way of uh, medicine with some good nutraceuticals, etc. So I just wanted to put that on well, because um, yeah. I'm very happy yeah. to be working with them. Me too. Me too. I'm working with them too. And and I my position on it is not just what you're describing, but also that we're putting control access in the hands of patients. It's it's time we let patients be in, driving driving the ship. But uh, they, I want you at some point here to tell the story about what happened over at HHS. But before we do, I think the evidence based medicine topic is a perfect place to start here. I'll, I want to start with that because I I don't know if you are your um your your uh, your research advisors are still there at McMaster's, but 
if they are, are yeah. they must be they 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 must be dying. What happened to evidence based medicine? How does how do they? I, it's just I, they must be mind boggled as much as I am, gobsmacked as much as you and I are. What what? How do they understand what has happened to our profession? Well, well, you ask a very good question, and I'm a purist scientist in the sense that again I come from that school and that program, so uh, I have to represent it in a way. Dr. Risha and myself are actually almost the same in this regard. Um, well, the problem is evidence-based medicine died during COVID. Um, it committed yeah. suicide, basically, because no one was really yeah. practicing evidence-based medicine and, um, and, and evidence-based research. And, and for your listener, evidence-based research and medicine basically is trying to come up with decision-making that is, that is informed by the most highest quality, trustworthy evidence. And it's the body mm -hmm. of evidence that we're talking about. We're not necessarily talking about one study. We are saying that if you give me an estimate of effect for a drug in terms of its benefit or its harms, we want you to look at all of the evidence, the randomized trials, the observational research, strong research, weak research, and give us the best so we could have as much confidence in the estimated effect. Um, Evidence-based medicine is reproducible. The doctrine is it has to be explicit, open, transparent. And that's the difference because what I'm trying to say is from about 40 years ago, the idea was clinicians, et cetera, and surgeons were making decisions based on what their colleagues did, what they heard worked. And the idea was that um, they were not consulting the literature and the data, et cetera, to make decisions. Now, <clears throat> I think in one way, Drew, evidence-based medicine went too far and removed yeah. too much of the, um, the decision-making from the, from the clinician and have these clinicians reading books, running into the library to consult. No, you have to give the clinician and the surgeon their clinical discretion in the decision-making yeah. too. So maybe the pendulum will come back a little bit, but I agree with you, evidence-based medicine died because all of the research in COVID is basically junk, I have to say. Research methodologically wise, it cannot stand up to scientific muster. Really what JAMA, Lancet, BMG, whatever they're publishing 25 years ago, if you sent it to me to review or even you, as a review of an article, I would, I would recommend do not publish. We're getting stuff today that cannot normally stand up to scientific scrutiny and is being published. So it's a terrible situation yeah. for, the, for, the, for the population because... And, and, and there's another twist on it that's even more disturbing to me, which is that you know, the, uh, science is a dialogue. It's a back and forth. It's never just all one direction. Results don't go one way and that's that. There's a, there's a consensus that, that builds. We are seeing what does get published. Also, what doesn't get published might be something worthy of scientific scrutiny and it doesn't get published. So it, it's being hit on both ends. Things not worthy are being published and things that potentially are worthy because the topic isn't any good for the reviewers or the editorial process aren't being published. It's really breathtaking. Let me ask this. I'm, I'm sort of a purist scientist and I was trained in a very um, 
a purist view of the scientific method. And in my world, I've, I've heard this has been modified a little bit lately, but you, you came up with a hypothesis. You designed an experiment to test that hypothesis. And you tried to ask simple, narrow questions that you could control. And then based on that narrow question, is this true or not? Test it. And then essentially what I was reared on was do a null hypothesis. That I don't see that ever being done. What happened to the basic scientific method? Well, I mean, once again, um, I agree with you and I'm happy that your, um, your um, acumen is as a purist too. Um, so you understand how much it, well, it not bothers us because we understand the dirt and the, um, and the lack, the suboptimal work that's coming out of academic research now. The reality is that we know the power of things like large, pragmatic, randomized control trials, simple, et cetera, in being able to tease out cause and effect. I, I agree with you fully that, that we don't have the proper comparative effect in this research today to help us make informed decisions. And this research we have is very weak. And I think what has happened too is that... Um, Many people mounted research in COVID and really didn't know what they were doing. And they were submitting mm -hmm. stuff to, mm -hmm. the, um, to the journals. They were violating their protocols. They didn't even register protocols. So we couldn't even see what they were doing and what they were not doing. And like you mentioned earlier, this issue of they're not publishing the good stuff, which is going against their narrative. You know from your own expertise that we're talking about um, the negative, negative effect studies and, and um, publication bias. And we could actually see that in the research where we plot our graphs to show that um, what is being published is only the research that has outcomes or estimates of effect that support what the researcher wants to see, positive effects. They will not publish the ones that are negative, which actually are very important. And um, it's like the, the clinical trials done by Moderna and Pfizer. They stopped the studies early for benefit. They said, Fauci and they said, well, it looks like we have a signal of benefit here, so we're going to stop the trial. But you and I understand, Drew, and many people in the audience, because I really don't know who the audience is, but I assume they're, they're, some of them have done this too, that if you stop a study early for benefit, what you are actually doing is you are risking an overestimated uh, estimated effect. That's a risk of bias. We flag that. Why? Because had you run that study to sample size, that benefit that you would have seen so early on a crew would have petered out and you may not have seen the benefit downstream. In fact, the harms that you failed to see upstream would have probably become clearer. So in the research that was produced and published by Pfizer Moderna and accepted wrongfully by the FDA to grant EAU is actually not just suboptimal, but is wrong science. It cannot stand up to proper scientific scrutiny. Those studies are risk of bias studies. None of the estimates of effect are proper. They're actually, to me, fraudulent. And they use the relative risk reduction as the estimate of effect when you know, Drew, that the estimate that we wanted, the outcome measure, 
is actually absolute risk reduction. And when Pfizer of course, says of course. there's a 95% relative risk reduction, whoop-de-doo, based on 170 yeah. events, the absolute right. risk reduction is just 0 0.7. You would have never taken yeah. that shot if a doctor would have sat you down and said, listen, the absolute benefit is just 0.7%. And there's a downside because the, the shot carries risk. The shot carries potential toxicity. There's a cost to the shot. There's, there's uncomfortableness. There might be fever. You may react with anaphylaxis, etc. And when you weigh the benefits mm -hmm. versus the harms, you'd say, but wait, this benefit is so modest <laughs> compared to actual harms that I could experience that I don't want. I would avoid the shot. People were never told the truth. Every single thing. Look, had we done nothing, Drew, had this thing come around, this is my opinion based on four years now, had this thing come around in December, January of 2020, and we done nothing, it is my view that we may not even have noticed this. It is my view, my view, that had we done nothing, we'd have lost far fewer people. It was the response. The medical management is what killed most of the people. This virus did take some people through high-risk elderly. We know that. You are an expert. I know that you're a clinician, an expert. But when you look at the denial of treatment, the lockdowns, the collateral damage from the lockdowns, that's Jay Bhattacharya's expertise, you look at the vaccine itself, the harms from the vaccine, and you look at the medical management with the isolation, the sedation with propofol and midazolam, the ventilator, the denial of antibiotics. When you look at those deaths, you realize we actually may have killed more people by the medical response. And that's a very controversial statement to make, but that's the statement I'm making. I'm willing to defend it. Had we done nothing, We'd have been better. Well, off. certainly, certainly, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the place we ended up really doing nothing was in the care of the patients, right? Because there was lockdown, because there was panic, because the hospitals were closed, where we really did nothing is the one place we should have been doing something, which was observing our patients, monitoring our patients, trying different things on the patients. The, the the steroid inhalers would have worked. Steroids themselves would have hurt. You know, we can argue about early treatment and whatnot, but there were things to be done. Patients were set home and told to come back when they were blue. That 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 was the first chapter of this whole catastrophe that I just blew my mind. Uh, by the way, I, I wrote down a couple of the things that uh, Jay Bhattacharya said to me. He said he, they looked at every single person alive as a biohazard, and he said. Society can't run that way. He's absolutely right about that. And now I just went to an event last night talking about the mental health consequences on uh, teenagers and young adults. It's profound. It's profound what we've done. The numbers of deaths that are going to happen as a result of despair and drugs, it's just profound. None of that would have happened if we had done nothing. Plus, you mentioned the slight improvement with the vaccine. We didn't know the potential side effects. Now we know we can go to a 22-year-old male and go, you know, there's a 1 in 5,000, let's say 1 in 50,000 chance of myocarditis. Uh, and half of those are going to be, well, in one year, we know it persists. And those people, some of those may end up with really serious cardiac problems, as opposed to zero risk from certainly in the Omicron age. Uh, 
Why are we still pushing these things? Well, well, this, this young is people the thing. particularly. That's why, yeah, and this is why you have your show, and it's so popular. And this is why even the wellness company is have particular products to address the spike protein post virus and vaccine. Vaccine is a problem. Look, I think historically we will we will learn things that we think we understand today that we will get to know was, was wrong-sided and we will be corrected long yeah. too. Yeah, we were wrong. For sure. We, we taught we well, I yeah. figured that out. No, 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 no. I I I cannot understand how um a product that is so problematic in the sense of it's causing harms, there are reported deaths. Vicky I put on a substack about this this Japanese study with this teenage girl who died that they're linking it direct to the shot. That's not the only study. We have many, many instances. So we have a problem, yet the powers that be don't want to talk about it. And when we talk about it, we get attacked and smeared and slandered. So it has to be that people are being incentivized, Jay, in some way. And incentivization is not just money, cash money. You could get incentivization by being able to keep your job, keep your research position, keep, keep your research grant. And that is wrong. Because what we need is honest, scientific debate on what the facts are. Bring the facts to the table. Let's, and even if you don't like the outcome, you're going to have to agree with it because this is proper, proper science. We are not dealing with proper science here. Zero. I mean, yep. between Redfield, yep. between Walensky as heads of the CDC, both of them. I knew Dr. Redfield personally. In fact, he told me personally about the six-foot social rule. When I wrote that a few years ago, people said, how, how, are you sure he told you? Yeah, he told me that. I liked him. He, to me, I know him personally. He's a good, God-fearing man. But he was flat wrong on a lot of the science coming out of CDC and the decisions that they made while he was there. Walensky was worse. And the present CDC director, even worse. So we have a problem. We seem to have patronage. I'll say it. He was a patronage probably appointment under Trump, like Walensky and the under Biden. They're not putting the right people in place. Who bring the pedigree but we don't want a political animal we want somebody who know what the hell they're saying and what they're doing and they could lead those thousands of employees to actually give us good science and good research not politicize the agency you know so i am one of them saying straight up whoever the next president now you know i'm a trump supporter i'm on the trump train but i have said drew show me a democrat show me a liberal Show me a rhino even. You show me somebody. Show me somebody who's an independent. And they love the country. They love the borders. They respect the flag. They respect the anthem. They know about, understand law and order. They understand all those things. They, they like the police. They don't want to burn the police down. They respect the military and the service. The history of America. The greatest country in the world. Bar none. Will you show me that person, Democrat even, I'll vote for them. I don't have to vote for President Trump and work. Right now, I'm in his orbit. But I will not support him if you show me somebody who could check. Because Trump checks those boxes. You show me somebody who could check them plus one. I'll strongly consider them. But right now on the deck, I need somebody like a Trump to go into D.C. and burn that place down. He needs to raise CDC, FDA, NIH, NIAID. Raise it to the floor. Take it down to the studs. 
fire everybody 1,000 top down across the board in all of those agencies because they're inept, they're incompetent, they're politicized. I know because I work there. I know these people. I can't believe the quality of the people at CDC. They have some really good people, strong people too, scientists, but the vast majority of them are just overpaid and underworked. And they get there not by ability. I'm sorry. I've been for same in Canada. I work for the government of Canada. I'm an epidemiologist for Health Canada and the Public Health Agency of Canada. Some of the most inept people work there. And they make decisions that affect lives, like the decisions they made on lockdowns. We found Drew. I'm echoing Jay, but I go in a little deeper than Jay. We looked at all of the lockdowns. I published a paper with McCullough, Rich, Dr. Ramin Osqui, Dr. Howard Tenenbaum. We looked at every single study in this entire world, across every country, every study, every report. We could find not one, not one study has been published up to four years now to show that any lockdown worked to curb transmission or death. None, not one. Same with school closures. That's an incredible statement for me to make, but I challenge anyone to produce one for me. Because I know what the data is. I publish it, 400 studies in Brownstone. Go and find it and read it. You bring one and show me that lock. You can't. So that's a, t in other words, we lock society down based on what we had no, no, we never did it before. And we had no evidence that it would work. Same with the social distancing. Redfield told me at, at HHS, I asked him, I said, Dr. Redfield, blunt. Dr. Redfield, where, show me the studies. Because I, I, again, you use the word purist. I'm a purist. And I went there to help with my research ability. He laughed with me, not at me, but he chuckled. He said, Paul, there's no science. We made it up. I said, Dr. Redfield, you made it up? He said, yes. Some of the countries we're in consultation with, because that happened before I arrived, two months before. So it was already on deck. They wanted one foot. Some said three feet. Some said 12 feet. Some said 22 feet. We found six feet sounded good. Now, people thought when I wrote that in a substack in my blog that, well, he's pulling that out of his, his, his behind. Why would Redfield, here Redfield told me, Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner, went on the news so, shortly after me and said the same because he was there too. He said it was made up. Now Fauci has come and said it was made up. So I, I, I was speaking what I knew. I actually spoke to Redfield. That was COVID. Everything that they did, they were making it up as they were going along. The only problem is their policies had serious real-world implications. And their policies harmed people. Many people died because of their policies. I'm telling you, we had husbands and wives. The data was coming to my office, so we knew. Me and Dr. Atlas's, it was coming to us. Husbands and wives were turning up to the ER, standing there across America. Wife telling ER doctor, doctor, I have been locked down for 10 months, 12 months. I've had no work, no income. I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm miserable. And I have to admit, I've been physically violent against my husband, standing right here. 
husband will tell the doctor, doctor, I too have been beating my wife every day. I have not worked for a year. I, we're losing the house. We can't pay the mortgage. It's a disaster. Our life is over. But they're standing there, both of them with their arms open, and a child is laying in their arms, unresponsive. Mm -hmm. And they're telling the doctor, today, doctor, we're here because we think we crossed the line today. We think we might have killed the child. Please help yeah. us. And the child is there unresponsive with broken bones. They beat the child to a frazzle. And that happened across America multiple times. I know because they were reporting was coming to our office. And we were rolling it up to the White House. So when Trump was on the stump begging the CDC and arguing for the states to open the economy and the schools, it was because he was getting the reports from us. We had, we harmed I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to support what you just said, Drew. We harmed our populations. We harmed children. Some models suggest it will take the rest of the 21st century, 80 more years, to put them back to where they were in January of 2020. We harmed them. Sexual abuse, physical abuse. When we locked schools down, we didn't understand that most American children get their only meal in school, most. When we close schools, many American children starve for months. When we close schools, many American children were sexually abused in their own homes. And school is a place where it's flagged for the first time. We put children at risk. Many children were physically beaten by their families, by their families' friends. Most children of sexual abuse the parents knew the person. That's another important statistic. And children suffered. We suffered our children, and 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 it is bearing. Well, well, I I would argue, I I would argue you're pointing out the most extreme, obviously, cases. But it, as you go down the scale of severity of the consequences, they are still profound in terms of the impact on development, mental health. Of course cognitive development at school. I, I will tell the story now. I always tell it when I have this conversation. I will. I suppose I'll take this one to my grave. When the uh, our, the Ukrainian women were running out of Ukraine at the beginning of the, war, the invasion from Russia, they were running into Poland with their children and there were reporters there with microphones. And uh, to a person, each woman said, oh yeah, it's terrible. We're leaving our sons, our fathers, our, 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 you know, our husbands back to fight this war. And then the next thing out of their mouth was, but these kids have been out of school for two weeks. We have to get them back in school immediately. It's been two weeks. That's a sane mother. <laughs> two weeks out of school is for real. It is substantial. In this state, mm -hmm. California, where I am right now, we did it for two years. And what we expect that mm -hmm. to suddenly magically vaporize in terms of its effect, it's too much. Uh, Dr. Alexander, I'm going to take a little break here. Uh, when we come back, amongst other things, I want to talk about Dr. Burks, because she was the one that evangelized about closure. And I've got a little mm -hmm. pet theory that when, when a physician evangelizes on any topic, when they become a, you know, when they become, you know, uh, I, I don't know what other word to use, but evangelical. It's not, not religiously evangelical. They become evangelical on a topic. That's how we got the opioid crisis, for instance. That's how, that's how opiates were evangelized by the pain medicine world where pain became the fifth vital sign and pain assessment was more important than the pulse and all this craziness. That was because of evangelical physicians. 
Burks on her own and in her book, mm-hmm. not only evangelized, but felt like a hero in having done so. I'd love to get your assessment now that we have Dr. Fauci slowly turning towards reality, where he is saying, again, the six feet social distancing was non-scientific, made up, no evidence that it did anything, and yet we got the world to cooperate with that. It's just sensational. And two, that the lab leak, uh, where the specifics on the origin of the virus came from, I don't know, really. It could No, certainly not a conspiracy to talk about lab leak origin, although anyone who dared to bring that up a year or two ago was called a conspiracist. So we'll do those topics when we return. Ladies and gentlemen, let's make a resolution that's easy to keep and delivers immediately on its promise. With GenuCell Skincare, you can turn back the clock and look 5, 10, even 15 years younger. And right now, GenuCell Skincare is celebrating 2024 with its New Year's sales event. Save over 60% off all of our favorite GenuCell products with one of our customized skincare routine packages. Say goodbye to those fine lines in the forehead and run your corner of your eyes. Sagging jawline, dark marks, skin redness, even under eye bags. Leave them in 2023. GenuCell works for women and men. It's safe for all skin types and perfect for skin of any age. Plus, with its immediate effects, GenuCell promises results that will make you smile. Guaranteed or 100% of your money back. Start your new year look off right with one of our custom GenuCell skincare bundles right now at GenuCell.com Drew. Use our special code Drew at checkout for extra savings off your order today. And remember, every order placed is automatically upgraded to free shipping. Don't wait. That is genucel.com forward slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. Well, most of my career, I've been urging people to kick habits, change habits. Well, this time, I'd like to suggest getting into the habit of adding Paleo Valley grass-fed bone broth protein to your daily nutrition regimen. Here's CEO Autumn Smith. It's made from cows with 100% grass-fed and finished and bones. They're bones rather than the hide most Bone broth or collagen powders are made from hides or hooves, but ours is actually made from the bone because it'll contain additional nutrients. Bone broth is a way to bring back those nutrients, those minerals, and there's glucosaminoglycans, and then there's collagen, which helps us prevent wrinkles and joint pain and actually heals our gut. There's, There's gelatin and there's just all of these ingredients that the modern diet has kind of left by the wayside. Susan and I have been mixing the chocolate-favored bone broth literally into our coffee every morning for months, and we've noticed a difference in our energy, appearance of our hair, skin, nails. Susan's particularly very happy with this. The bioavailable protein also helps us feel satiated. That's the part I'm happy with. Paleo Valley bone broth also comes in vanilla and pure, unflavored, and can easily be added to your coffee, smoothies, yogurt. Go to drdrew.com paleo, P-A-L-E-O, for 15% off your first order. Again, that is drdrew.com slash paleo. I think everyone knows the next medical crisis could be just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of another pandemic or something much more routine like a tick bite. You and your family need to be prepared. That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their physicians on like Dr. McCullough frequently. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals you can trust. And their new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy. It's really, it's a safety net. It's an insurance policy that you hope you're not going to need, but if you need it, you sure as heck are going to wish you had it if you need it. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin, ZPAC. The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all these life-saving medications. From anthrax 
to tick bites to COVID-19, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured, knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to help you and your family stay safe from whatever life throws at you next. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com forward slash TWC to get 10% off today. Just click on that link. Again, that's the emergency kit you should have on hand. We have more kits coming for more circumstances like travel, whatnot. Uh, also, Susan brought her favorite supplements here, including mine is the sleep, the restful sleep. I, I've never found a better sleep supplement. It's just uncanny how well that stuff works. What, what you have the spike support and the yeah. If you've had hair. COVID recently, you take the spike support. And can we also, see there's Susan? some Caleb. Can we see? There's also no. I'm not oh. on camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the gummies, which have bromelain. I use the kids' gummies. One. And then I also like the hair, skin, and nails yep. stuff. That's amazing. Show that. So check one. it out. There's a lot of really. They good have a lot of great products. Supplements. It's kind of golden age of supplements these days. Uh, before I bring Doctor back, uh, I want to remind you about his book. It is called Presidential Takedown: How Anthony Fauci, the CDC, NIH, and World Health Organization conspired to overthrow. President Trump. There is the book, and here is Dr. Paul Alexander, uh, who has been on fire in his Substack lately. You can follow him uh, on Twitter. Uh, it is uh, put it up there, Caleb, if you would. His Substack on the Twitter. Uh, make sure I get this right, Dr. Paul Alexander. where you can find it. I don't have his Twitter account, but you can find it at drpaulalexander.com. Got it. And the Substack, uh, Paul. The Substack. The address is very simple. Is they just need to Google Alexander COVID News. Just Alexander space COVID space news, and it will pop up. And it's free. I've made it free. You know, you don't have to pay to join. There's no um, no moratoriums, no um, firewalls. Anyone could comment, and you could get into the discussion. Excellent. Now, before the break, I mentioned Dr. Burks and her evangelizing for lockdowns and her sense of heroism in her own book on having done so. What is your, what is your assessment these days? Well, I, um, I agree with you. And um, Dr. Burks and me, Dr. Burks had serious problems with Dr. Atlas, myself. He was in the Eisenhower building. I was at the um, Health and Human Services because we were raising serious hell with her and Fauci as to the lockdowns, the school closures, etc., And um, I think um, she wrote in her book that she didn't really care for me. And um, <laughs> the thing about it is what I don't understand, Drew, is these people made a lot of mistakes and uh, they're not being held accountable. The, the type of hearings and the discussions needed are not happening. So I hope it will come. Um, a lot of these people, the reality is you, you can't hate people. You can't. You have to love each other. And um, be you know gracious, mercy. People make mistakes. Everyone is. Uh oh, just uh, froze on Dr. Alexander. Caleb, are you still there with me, or is that just on this end? No. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. St I'm still here. That was just uh, his his call. Okay. Dropped. He'll be. He's coming back. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I, it's again. He was there. He was the one fighting the fight. I remember. Uh, I was on a nightly news broadcast i've discussed this before in here in los angeles um and a school board member came in the night they closed the schools and i i was sort of shocked that they were doing this because I, I was it seemed excessive and bizarre for this particular pathogen and uh the school board member came in and i said well, who, who told you to do this did you consult with a team of infectious disease experts was there public health who told you 
And thank God there's still footage of it. And if you look on the Adam and Dr. Drew show, we, we played it there a couple of times. And the guy looked at me and went, we just think it's the right thing to do. You, you could close, what? Just because you think it's the right, what does that even mean? Who are you to make these decisions? About It just was just the most uncanny experience. And uh, thank God I was asking those questions and they had no answers to them, I, you know, but it was still so, so odd to be around during those days. And always beware of physicians that are, have evangelical points of view. It's why I really try to be careful and humble with my positions. In fact, uh, I got I got a little over my skis. What that's what I when I look back at my own errors, uh, I feel like that's where I got into trouble, which was uh, being excessively sort of hubristic and pushing back uh, on the chaos and panic that was being induced. At the time, I thought it was the press that was doing it. I really did. I thought they were the ones just doing it to try to. Do what they always do. I mean, look around now. I mean, every time it snows, it's uh, uh, climate change. Like every time there's a, a white lung syndrome in China, that was nothing. It, hey, by the way, it's respiratory virus season. We're going to have respiratory viruses increase, including COVID. It is going to happen. And it's going to happen every respiratory season. Are we going to be panicking about that every year for the rest of human life? It's too, it's just too bizarre. It's just wildly, I don't know. I don't know what to think about. But uh, Caleb, how are we doing there with uh, Dr. Uh, Alexander? We're uh, trying to reconnect him. He's coming back into the Zoom call. I don't, it's, it's been is so it, bizarre, Drew. Like as you guys probably noticed yesterday, yeah. we had tons of technical issues. Today I had a t even technicians yeah. come out and change all the hardware only for us to find out that it was because of the tornadoes that went through Florida, knocked out a whole fiber like array, they called it. So everybody using fiber yeah. on the East Coast has been having some issues like this. So he's he's coming back. Well, and I then, he's on his and way. And then now, good. And now he's having still this stuff. But we, we've right. been doing pretty good, I think. And so the so uh, we are dependent on some of these systems, and that's fine. That's how this works. And so uh, we you froze there in the middle of what you were saying. I wanted you to continue your thoughts, sir. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, Drew. Oh, now we do. There we are. Yes. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, we somehow the other we lost there. But um, yeah, you were talking about Dr. Boogs. The reality about it is that um, I was trying to express that uh, a lot of mistakes were made by a lot of people. And um, mm. we need to find a way to uh, get to the bottom of the mistakes and have a serious debate so that these kinds of things don't happen. I, I tend to believe that I don't believe the people were just purely inept because uh, from very early on, including people like Bhattacharya and Kulop, myself, Atlas, McCullough and stuff, we were shouting out about the harms of like the lockdowns and stuff. And it seems as though um, uh, these people like the Burks and they of the world, they just hardened the lockdowns and extended them when the evidence had accumulated quickly. Two, three weeks out of the gate by the middle of April, that the lockdowns were harmful and harming the society. So we need to be able to ask them these questions as to what were they looking at, what data, what evidence to keep the lockdowns going, especially harms on children by closing schools. And I think um, Dr. Burks, Burks was a very charismatic individual. Um, her, her fights with uh, Dr. Atlas were legendary in, uh, in the White House, etc., in meetings because... Um, He's a very evidence-based guy. He would walk into meetings with stacks of research studies on papers, <clears throat> Burks and Fauci, and they would have nothing. They would sit down on the desk at the table with nothing. And Atlas would ask them, we'd ask them serious questions. 
and uh, they would not be able to answer the questions from a data and evidence point of view. Yet they were producing these graphs that they would put up every day, spooking President Trump and uh, with all these infections and cases. Yet they weren't telling President Trump, Dr. Berkson, they weren't telling President Trump that they were overcycling the PCR process. So we, we knew that many of those positive cases that you were taking people out of school and society were potentially false positive for infectious pathogen. So <clears throat> there's so many crazy, nonsensical, specious actions taken that when we look back at it, I, I have to say, Drew, that um, I don't know how people like you, your crew, me, that we got here. Because at one point you thought, well, the world was going to was was just going to be destroyed because because they were just doing things that were just harming people, and now we realize that everything that was done with COVID basically was wrong. That that <clears throat> I ask anyone right now, give me an example of a policy, just one that was done, that was implemented and imposed on us, that worked. I don't think anybody could find a policy that worked. We lost in every single thing that they did. But yet, yet four to five trillion dollars moved from the lower and the lower middle class population towards the wealthy people. Wealthy people who were in big business made a lot of money and became richer. We shifted the burden of morbidity and mortality, though, to the poor because the middle class and upper middle class these people and the rich people could have afforded to shield Dr. Burke's lockdowns. She was locking down, yet the poor people, marginalized people, women, women who had front-facing jobs, had to go to the grocery to work, had to go to their, to their Sunday floor, had to go out there, had to drive buses, men. Those poor people had to face whatever this was. And when we look at the data, the infections were highest in them and the mortality. So there's a lot, a lot of questions as to why certain things were done and what went wrong. I don't find that Fauci and Burks and they, like they had this, <clears throat> these hearings. Let me tell you something so your listeners could understand. In these hearings that are taking place now when Fauci came up, the ones before, et cetera, and even now, people like myself, and at full disclosure, people reach out to me from the Congress and the Senate and say, you know, Dr. Alexander, can you put together some questions for us? We are the congressional, we are the, the House members, we are the senators, whatever. Questions for us to ask. And I reach out to a lot of scientists and doctors that I work with, and I say, you guys, give me questions too. Let's put together a big truth. And, and I sent it to them. And then they started to select. They would select questions that they want. And they would put in questions that are so nonsensical, it's just junk. And then I would start communicating and say, but wait, hold on. This is supposed to be a hearing and we want accountability and stuff, right? And punishment. What shocked me, Drew, is that, and I can't name names here, but I have the emails. Some of the aides would write me back to the different Congress people and say, Paul, I don't think you're really understanding. We're bringing these people up here to the Hill under questioning and hearings, but we're not looking to punish anybody, etc. We're just trying to embarrass them. Well, I nearly fell out of my chair. So I wrote them back and said, what do you mean embarrass them? You mean like this is a dog and pony show? Yes, it is a dog and pony show. And this is the point. 
when the Democrats have the chairmanships, they do the same. When the Republicans have the chairmanships, they do the same. There is no accountability that's going to come out yeah. of these hearings as they exist today. None. And that's the I, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I, I'm not surprised, although there's a part of me, I've said this before, that I, I don't want us to go on a punishment-seeking affair in the sense that my priority is getting to the truth so we can adjust and put things in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. Uh, and I don't, and I, I worry that if you seek to punish people, the people that want to have a Nuremberg 2.0 and all this stuff, people are going to go on the defensive and you're not going to find anything out. We're not going to figure out a damn thing about what happened because people are going to shut up and follow what the attorneys tell them to do. In this case, at least we have the possibility of finding out where the mistakes were. It, it just, I, just the fact that Fauci said what he said yesterday, that would suddenly, you and I have been talking about the six feet thing for two years. And every time I bring it up, I, I could get a, a 500 hits on Twitter calling me an idiot. How do, how dare I? well, where are those people now? You, you know, every the, the you know the, the the theme for the day is everybody needs to take a good hard look at themselves. Everybody, where were you wrong? Where you were right? Where you where you jumped on to propaganda that was brought by another country many times, and where you were a horrible human being to somebody else who was merely offering an opinion. That is where everybody needs to be, and that should be the focus of even these sorts of hearings. Like where did what do you get off telling a guy going after Dr. Fauci in an email, a guy like Jay Bhattacharya, a guy that you funded his research? What were you thinking? What's going on in your mind that you would behave like that? To me, that's that's of course they would get embarrassed by all that too, which would satisfy their goals and all this. But I, I worry about going for blood. I really worry about that. What do you say to that? Well, I mean. Look, there's a lot of sage in what you just said, because we um, we are good governance society, and we are we are we are civilized people today in the 21st century. Um, we supposed to be, we we are supposed to have even the most difficult discussions civilly to find a way to have the discourse, but but also we, we need some kind of accountability. We can't. Let me put it to you this way: when when Susie went to her doctor. And as her doctor in Canada, as an example, because I know many Susies, this happened to them because I was asked to, to, to play a role. Even in America, I told the doctor, I cannot take this vaccine because I have an allergic reaction to components of the vaccine based on my past life. Actually, doctor, you are treating me for one of those components. The doctor would tell her, look, wait right here. I was there. He would go and bring a piece of paper from the province of Ontario, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, or the federal government, showing that as a doctor, if somebody in Canada, this is what happened, and this is still on the books now, it's the rule. If somebody asks you for an exemption, and it's written there, you as the doctor need to inform them that you need to give them the first shot. Only if they develop myocarditis or they get an allergic anaphylactic reaction there in your office, are you to then consider not giving them any food or vaccine? So the person would say, but doctor, that means I could technically potentially die. And here, and you, oh, no, don't worry about that. We, have, we get a nurse 
when you come to give your shot because you're a little sensitive, blah, blah, blah. That person will say, doctor, no dice, no deal. I, I can't. So the person will go back to the workplace and tell the boss, I, I'm not taking the shot. The doctor not giving me the medical exemption. The boss will say, well, you know, Susie, because the doctor said, if I did give you the exemption, I would get fined $78,000 by the college, by the government, and I could lose my license. So she would tell the boss, you wouldn't give me the exemption. The boss is going to have to lay you off. Well, the other part of that story is Susie went on for three, four, five months without a job. And across America, many Susies took their life. See, that's the issue. There are a lot of implications for these wrong, crazy policies that we know today that the vaccine was non-sterilizing, non-neutralizing, did not stop transmission. There was never any legal, medical, clinical, scientific basis for mandate. These vaccines should have been offered, never mandated. My argument is should have never even been brought in the first place. But I'm just saying, Susie went and hung herself. So who is going to pay for Susie hanging herself? That's the problem. So when everybody talk about Kumbaya and let's hold hands and kiss and make up, Susie had a family that doesn't have a mommy anymore. So that's the issue. And that happened across the world. So these people didn't make, this is not like going to buy a pair of shoes and, oh, I make a mistake, the wrong color. You affected people's lives. People's lives ended because of what you did. And, and if, you made these, if you made decisions that caused deaths, we need to talk about it. And we need to figure out how to make sure that you don't ever have that kind of authority again. You could never do that again, ever. So, you know, like, I, I, let me just say, you know, a couple of little nuggets came onto your show today, and I'll say another one now. I am in Trump orbit, and um, the discussion was where we need to get President Trump to stand up on the podium in some capacity to really talk about the harms of the lockdowns, to really talk about the vaccines. We know that technically he's the type of person he wouldn't, Trump is not the person to come and say, hey, you know what, boy, these vaccines seem to be a problem. I made a serious mistake with Operation Warp Speed, etc. Never. Trump will never look. But I wrote to, into his space to direct people in, in contact with him because it was asked. And I said, look, President Trump needs to strongly consider, because he likes those words, I am going to strongly consider. We will give it serious consideration. So you could, you could almost hear Trump saying it. We're going to look at liability protection given by that PREP Act, ESR, in February 2020. And we're going to strongly consider repealing it, taking it off the books, and even going retroactive. So all of you people who are harmed by the vaccines could have some kind of recourse in a court. We're going to strongly consider a victim's compensation fund. So all you police and military and nurses, etc., who got harmed by the lockdowns, etc., you could get some recourse in compensation. President Trump needs to come to the public and have a couple of those statements because the public was hurt by the lockdowns and these vaccines, I'm sorry to say, and I'm a huge supporter under him. Yes, he was misguided. He was misguided by Fauci and Burks and that whole task force clunker 
That was a clunk of people. Buffoons, I call them. Save Brett Girard because I actually worked with Dr. Girard. Smart guy. He actually was trying to um, keep America treading water with these with this, with this, um, COVID tests, which actually won't test. That, that whole thing was a crazy over-cycle madness by itself. But what I'm saying is we need leadership. And we need somebody oh, like a he Trump. He froze again. Or somebody, and I believe somebody go. else. If somebody else comes along, you, you. If, one of, if one of these candidates jump the gun here on Trump and say what I just said, that they're going to look at victim compensation, they're going to look at the liability protection under the prep, they're going to find a way to make Americans whole. See, that's the word. That's the legal word. Make us whole again from what we went through. That person could actually win the presidency. So President Trump needs to be very, very focused on this right now because uh, really and truly, Drew, the lockdowns hurt him. They did. People... Yeah. Hurt. People, I, listen, he, he shouldn't have gone past two weeks for sure. And he, you're right. He was yeah, listening he, to people that he should not have listened to. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's, he should, he should, you know, stand out. He never talks about being wrong, but all of us, I, I, you know, we need to, where we were wrong, we need to come clean immediately. I was looking at the rumble rants here and somebody was saying, oh, you're afraid you'll be indicted. I'm, I have no fear of that at all. I, but I do, I am a student of the French revolution. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and how, when the guillotines come out, everybody ends on the guillotine. That's one of the reasons I don't think going for blood is such a great idea. I think it just ends up in a cycle of terror, frankly. You know, we all become Robespierre at that point. And uh, somebody else also said that I uh, somehow didn't see the truth. What was it about this guy that calls me Paxlovid Drew? Look, I, I'm happy to be open to everything. I'm happy to say where I've been wrong. I'm happy. I'm no fear of indictment. This is the process where you, you look at yourself and where you were wrong. You come clean about it as quickly as possible and you try to adjust and learn. That's how you learn. I like being wrong. I like being wrong. It's how I grow. Let me, I got to take a quick second here. Oh, there it is. Uh, Paxlovid Drew, the, uh, but anyway. Yeah, I don't know uh, what they're talking about. Quick. Drew, because you do it like almost uh, every other show. You admit something that you were wrong on and that you learned. That just that yeah. doesn't make any yeah. sense what this I, person I, is I, saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's that they don't like that I still prescribe Paxlovid to elderly patients who get better with it all the time. Uh, if I have only bad, if I had not only good results from it, I would not prescribe it so much. And by the way, when they start charging 1300 bucks per course for my patients, maybe we won't be using it so much. But now it's still no cost to the patients. The insurances are still paying for it. Uh, really quickly, uh, Dr. Alexander, I want to tell people about CB Distillery. If you're having pain, if you're stressed out, which this conversation would do so, consider CBD from CB Distillery. CB Distillery targets formulations are made from the highest quality clean ingredients. No fluff, no filters, just pure effective CBD solutions designed to help. In two non-clinical surveys, 81% of customers experienced more calm. 80% said CBD helped with pain after physical activity. And an impressive 90% said they slept better with CBD Results, of course, will vary. I've been prescribing to patients for uh, both topically and orally for um, joint pain and whatnot and for sleep, and it had good results. If you struggle with health concern, haven't found relief, consider CB Distillery. With over 2 million customers and a solid 100% money-back guarantee, CB Distillery is the source you might trust. I have a 20% discount to get you started. Visit cbdistillery.com. Use code DREW, D-R-E-W, for 20% off. That is cbdistillery.com, code DREW, cbdistillery.com. Dot com cb distillery uh let's get back to dr paul alexander well, they, uh, it, it's also, interesting 
CB oh, Distillery, yes. they wanted me to jump in and mention also that I, I tried the CBD products and I like them. I've tried a uh-huh. lot of CBD stuff over the years, the, especially those mm-hmm. the gummies to help you sleep at night. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's, I, I suffered Excellent. from insomnia for like 10 years. I had to be on medication for 10 years, but slowly adding CBD, I was able to get off of my medication and now I sleep much, much better at night without needing medication anymore. So I, yeah. Excellent. Very much like these products. I, get, I think we are in a, a great day of supplements. As I also mentioned, I use the Restful Sleep from TWC for my sleep. And it, these are things that you can you can access. Patients should access. You educate yourself and then make your choice and access. And uh, these things are very safe too, by the way, which is nice. Um, Dr. Alexander, um, so here we are, you and I, I think we've spoken twice over the last two years, I would say, I would guess. And uh, I feel as though your position and your messaging has become clearer and uh, more, um, what word shall I use? Um, earnest and concerned. No, no, you've got, you're on fire, I'll, I'll admit it, but but, uh, but your your earnestness and your concern and your clarity have, have, have become um, quite interesting to me because indeed, as time has gone on, we've learned more and it's become increasingly clear what happened and how bad it was. What do we do People still live in silos where where to talk about this is somehow uh, threatening their worldview. It, there's a, a religiosity that has that has captured us in many respects in terms of our politics and our our COVID feelings. Do you have a specific way of addressing that? Is it the lack of religion that this fills into this void? And do we need a more spiritual life? And is that the answer? Or are there cognitive ways to address these distortions that people are so prone to? Well, first of all, before, let me just say quickly, I I just want to support everything you said about the wellness company. Good company. I'm proud to be connected to it. TWC.health. Please go on. You read and you make informed decisions. Now, the reality is that um, I think there's so much cognitive bias. I think we're we're so trained now uh, in schools, et cetera, in these kind of safe spaces kind of world that we live in now, this work world, that if you hear anything that disagrees with your view of the issue, um, first of all, you hate it, you don't want to hear it, you switch it off, and you just run away. And uh, we have now a system where from the young people go all the way up, there's no ability to have an informed discussion where you're listening to the other person, you're sharing your point of view, and you're taking in what they're saying and maybe want to reflect on it a bit. No. Today we have a situation in America where if I don't like or agree with what you're saying, I don't just have to disagree. I, I have to physically attack you, and I have to deliberately hate you. And I think that is a devastating place that we have come to and yes, I think that um, I think that part of the problem is the issue around religion in the sense of uh, it doesn't matter to me what religion you ascribe to. I just think you need to a human being needs some sort of faith because faith gives you this. Is how I look at it, and this is how I, my life is. It like I have to believe in some things that I can't even see. I've been told to me since I was a little kid. So I'm believing, I have faith and trust that my parents and my family and friends and the elders, my mentors, whatever they told me, have, have some truth in it. So I'm going to hope. We all need hope, Drew. This is how I look at it in a basic way. I need tonight to have hope in tomorrow. 
that tomorrow isn't come yet, but when I rise, will be in tomorrow. And I hope that tomorrow will be, if not like today, a little better, even much better than today. So it's that hope that drives us forward and pulls me along. And you find that you could, you could, you could be driving on the street, and sometimes you see these young people particularly, or even middle-aged people, they're walking down the street. You could see that they, 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 they don't know where they're going. They, they, they're punching the, 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 the post box. They're just kicking the can. They're just, they're, just, they're just moving. And that, to me, is a dangerous situation because you need to have some idea in the morning what this is all about, what life is about, what you're going to do today. And um, I think what happened is that... Um, you remember I wrote this paper in Brownstone and um, about the lockdowns when they had this guy who ran into the um, to the Tops Grocery and he shot ten people dead about a year ago, and I and I wrote this paper talking about it because he was eighteen. Well, he was fifteen at the start of the lockdowns, approximately, and he was eighteen when he committed the crime. Now, if you go and you read his manifesto, and that's why I wrote a paper on it, and it was published. I got interviews, it was all over, it was viral. I said, the issue here is young people today, they need structure in their lives. And the lockdowns and the school closures took out that the rituals, the predictability rituals, that they need to get up. And he wrote, he said, look, during the lockdowns, I, um, I had one friend in school and I would, I would look forward to go to school. My family life was, was terrible. So I'd look forward to go to school every day and see my friend and talk. And all of a sudden, they locked down the school and locked the society down. And they would open it, close it, open it, close it. And eventually, I dropped out. And you know what? Nobody looked for me. Nobody asked where I was. Nobody was interested. And I got the time, for the first time in my life, plenty of time, I went into the basement and I spent a lot of time searching the dark web. And it was there that I found things that poison my mind. And he wrote, I am a monster today and I am going to commit this crime, basically he said, because my mind now is gone. And, and the internet and time darkened me and took me places I, I didn't know existed. And I am a monster. It has made a monster of me. So I think the lockdowns hurt people terribly. It hurt our children irreparably this it's taken a three-year gap in their social and emotional and maturational development oh yeah that, that you could see it you could feel it and um you know yep. you yep. you use the word religion it's hard to talk about it because people are going to write in your show and they'll be upset they will say oh we didn't know this was a religious show blah 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 but um the fact about it is you need some sense of spirituality you need some sense of faith in tomorrow in people you need to trust and you just need to understand that um my <laughs> look i was born personally as a person i was born i grew to understand life growing up that i have the chance where, where are you born i was born in the caribbean in trinidad to be specifically mm. my great-grandparents mm. were from different countries uh, on my dad's side from uh, Lebanon. And then my grandparents were born in Cuba. 
and some of the other they ended up in the Caribbean and some were from Venezuela. So that's kind of where my passion comes. But but here's the key. Here's the key. The key is that I think that we all in this world we have a chance to give something back. We didn't I, I didn't just come yeah. to take where this. Before I leave this world, my viewers, they have to know that we were here. They know that Drew was here. Why? Because of some positive things Drew has done in his life and he's trying to help. You may not like this direction. You may not like what he's saying, but he's trying something. And I think that's what people need to understand. We need to find that niche. We need to find that place so we can contribute our verse to the song yes. of life. Yes. Just a so little bit. No, it it is it is it is the topic of how does someone lead a good life? What is a good yes. life? And, yes. and and you can think about that a million ways. Uh, and I, I, Caleb, like I brought up the other day, I said, you know, good life is not necessarily a happy life. Uh, I think most people would agree that Jesus led a good life. It had huge impact on human society. I'm not sure he had a happy life. And if he had chosen to avoid risk and safety overall, as we seem to have done in this country, um, Jesus' life might have turned out a little different. But uh, I think the way he chose to take risk uh, and lead a good life turns out uh, had a positive impact. I've always said I, I want uh, one thing on my gravestone, which was he made a difference. That's it. That'd be fine. I'd be that'd be good at that point. Uh, one last thing you mentioned. Uh, I love what you said about hope, by the way. But you you talked about ascending to the truth. Um, you know, we have to really get honest about the recent history of academia, where post-structuralism took hold about 15 years ago in this country. And I think people forget that. And, and post-structuralist philosophy is truth does not exist. Truth is just a point of view. It's just another point of view. And the reality is, I've had this conversation with Bill Maher a couple times, and I'm going to talk to him again soon. I, I want to get into this in greater detail, that Truth is everything. <laughs> Truth is our job. We'll never get there, but our job, particularly as scientists, is to ascend to an approximation of the truth. And the fact that some French philosophers from 75 years ago, and by the way, as I said, I've been obsessing about the French lately, they will have none of the post-structuralists. They laugh at people that think that that's a worthy, a worthy philosophical point of view. It was a blip, a minuscule blip in the history of philosophy that went from about 1953 to about 1965, and everyone left it behind, and academia in this country decided that that's what they're going to hang their hat on, a philosophical orientation that the truth did not exist. It was only a point of view, and that has done untoward harm. We've got to get back to trying to, to the best that this instrument can, approximate the truth. Paul. Yes, I 100% I, 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 I agree with you, and um, particularly for the young people, because they are constantly looking on at people like you, people like myself, people out there that um, they're looking for some direction, and they need to understand that um, they want to see that we are governed by some, sem some semblance of structure and truth in that, um, in that we are not making things up willy-nilly and that we have some purpose. If the, 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 issue is, the issue is what is the purpose of, of, of why you exist? Oh, today, shoot. What you're doing today, etc. And um, um, did I freeze? Freeze. You did freeze, but go, go ahead. It came right back. So, Yeah, look, the thing about it is in, in medicine and science, which is the area that we operate in, 
we have to operate mm. on the truth. We have to operate on fact. We have to operate on reason. And um, mm. we can't fudge that. And it's when we try to fudge that that we get into trouble. And I think in COVID, that is what happened. We were trying. I don't know if historically we will, sh we will show that people really made honest mistakes. I don't know if that's what will be shown. I don't know if it will be shown that people made deliberate mistakes. What I do know is today, when we look at the body of evidence, when we look at the body of everything that was done, most of, of everything that was done was wrong. And it boggles the mind that how all of these people could all be wrong at the same time. It makes no sense. Well, ma ma happened. mass formation, mass formation, hysteria, I mean, it happens. I mean, it, it does. I mean, look at history. I, I thought we'd gotten over that as human beings. Turns out all these things happen and rehappen and happen again. Yes. I, I, I also agree with you on that. And um, the reality about it, boy, Drew, is that um, uh, we were put into a tailspin. I think, I, I think a lot of people wanted to do good. I think that many people got sidelined and, and, and were turned, spun into a loop when um when they they gained a lot of power and i think um we lost we lost mm. several things in covid one of the key things we lost was the virus this pathogen took some people but i think mm. the principal thing that we lost is we lost people from the lockdowns from the denial of treatment from the medical management but what we really lost is our freedoms our liberties mm. uh, our mm -hmm. own decision and I think we bring it back to the wellness company in the sense that that is the thing that appealed to me when I joined them, is that a new company, nascent, developing, everybody makes mistakes mm -hmm. and they're feeling their way. But what they're trying to do in the dictum is to empower you again, to take back your mm -hmm. own decision-making about your medical health, mm -hmm. that it is you as an individual should run your own body, your medical decision-making mm -hmm. and your health. And not no bureaucrats sitting down in D.C. at CDC and NIH just making policies that affect in your life. So I think from that point of mm -hmm. view, I think that is one of the, uh, the things that we lost principally. And um, I want to I refine it. I want to refine it, Paul, and say we, we, we gave up our sacred privileges given by God according to our Constitution. And every other country followed suit in their own way. But what we really lost was the ability to protect those rights and privileges. So the, the bureaucrats showed they could trample them. And we have to reestablish rules that prevent them from trampling or we have lost oh, again. Excellent. And I think what you're actually saying is that the world of January, February 2020 no longer exists. And it's that that people mm. need to really wrap their head around that world is gone. Mm. Our government and leaders took that world away from us. And it's exactly how you just said it. We need to enact some constraints on the powerful people and the decision makers. So they, they could never do those things again. And um, I don't know, after four years, I don't know if we even begun to get there because we're still squabbling and fighting. And... Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very concerned. Some days I talk to a lot of the people in the freedom movement, the senior people, the people you see on this, the, the, the media every day. And a lot mm -hmm. of us sometimes are very depressed because 
because it's almost as though you use that term, you're almost like you're pissing in the wind. And I, I hope I'm not being disrespectful. Is that disrespectful? But I, I, I understand the feeling. I've certainly had that feeling. But I think it's, I think it's moving. I think it's, I, I, I have a new. Um, I have to wrap our conversation up today, but I, I welcome you back anytime, and hopefully we can do this again soon. But my my motto is: we can do better in 2024. That's my motto. It's very simple. We can do better, and we are all doing. We're all rowing in the right. We're starting to row. The ship's starting to turn, and we just got to do better. Just keep going. Yep, I am. Um, I, I will close with that also. That um, you know, uh, using the, what I was trying to say before is that um, I think we as human beings need to be very tender and, and, and have care with each other. We need to be able to mm-hmm. forgive. We need to have gracious mercy with each other, and understand that we are all imperfect people, fallen people, people who make a lot of mistakes. But we try, and we have to do work on ourselves every day and admit that. We must admit that we need to do work every day. It's like our relationships. We need to work on them every day because at the end of the day, when we look back at life, what, what is of value most, Drew, I've realized is, is the triumph of integrity over mm. everything else. And the question is, do you have, as a person, a line of integrity that is fixed? Or do you have a line of integrity that can be moved? My line of integrity is fixed. You may not like my line. You may not like how I think because I'm a very matter-of-fact, blunt person. I want to deal with people who have a fixed line of integrity that I know right from wrong. I know where you stand. I know what you believe in. It's very, very important. Very. I want, you know, um, this 2024, Drew, is, is probably going to be the most consequential time and year in our lifetime this coming election and i'll just leave it like well it's not it's not time to well whatever your point of view on it is it's not time to let down it's time to stand up which is extraordinary thing that we have we must do and i walk away with two words uh go ahead i want to thank you too i mean yeah you invited me on your show to talk again but I, i i must also thank you in the sense that you are one of the people with people like america allow these kinds of platforms that when the legacy media canceled us and 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 smeared and slandered us, people like me, McCullough, Rich, all of, all of you know the whole guy, all the guys, you you bring them on. It was people like you who kept the door open to us and uh, and gave us a voice. And it was us, a 15, 20 out of us, I'll be very straightforward, who decided four years ago that we're going to stand up. And we are, we, we're not going to take this. We're going we're gonna to wage this battle for the public, for, for the world. And it's still 1520. There are a few additions and few changes, dropouts, additions. But there's a core group. We've held the wall because of you. Because you gave us, you are our back. We still need you. And you are actually on the well, front line too. So you play both roles. It's uh, very important that you stay in the fight with us because we're not going to back down. And... Uh, Fantastic. I'm with you. I, I, but I, again, I'm one small, uh, outlet and, uh, and I, but I agree with you. It, it is time to stand up and uh, I'm happy to have been, I'm delighted to have been a part of it. And when I heard, by the way, who they were canceling guys like you and Bhattacharya and Rish, I was like, well, that's, 
what is going on? Why would you cancel those guys? And I bet I could learn something. My, my simple thing was, Paul, was just, I bet I could learn something by from talking to these guys. I bet there's something there that I'm not hearing. And you were one of the first ones when you talked about the what happened with uh, Redfield and the six feet distancing. I was like, oh, well, that's where it came from. Okay, I just learned something very specific. And that's where it came from. And now we have Fauci admitting it. That's where it came from. It came from nowhere. It came from bureaucrats just dreaming it up. Nowhere. All right, we got to wrap this up. But uh, the two words I want to leave everyone with that you mentioned a few minutes ago was uh, hope. Now, you said you're feeling kind of down about things and your group is feeling down. I want you to hang on the hope, Paul. Dr. Alexander, use your own word. It's hope. And the other word is in order to maintain integrity, Dr. Alexander used the word fallen, which we all are. We all have weaknesses. We must constantly reassess ourselves or we will fall short of our integrity. So constantly reassess, constantly reassess and accept that fallenness. Dr. Paul Alexander, see him at Dr. Paul, drpaulalexander.com. Thank you, sir, and hope we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Drew. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, there is his book, Presidential Takedown. Uh, check that out if you like some of what you heard today. I hope to get him back again soon. We have a lot to talk about. He and I, here's what's coming up. Here's our schedule. Uh, I think we just rescheduled Roseanne, if I remember. She was going to come in yesterday, but she rescheduled with us. Uh, Peter McCullough coming in. G. Van Fleet, Dowd, Joseph Latipo, Roseanne. Look at that list. And we got more. We're just filling it up. We have great guests, and we'll take recommendations if you guys have any. Uh, they want Bill Maher. Oh, Bill would be great. I don't know if we could pull that off. Well, you can work on it. Maybe him. he'll come. Yeah, you, we're going to see him next week. You're going to see him soon, so you can, we can work on him. Maybe we um, can get him uh, uh, You know, get him on the TWC bandwagon. He, he, we'll see. We'll have a conversation with him uh, soon, you and I. And uh, I, I, <laughs> you, he, he, you tend to be more persuasive with him than I. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'll leave that to I you. I'm a master of persuasion. Uh, thank you, uh, Blatt Dingus, for your support there. We watched you, and uh, we watch all of you interacting with everybody. We're watching that Rumble Rant. Susan, anything that come out of that? I wanted part? to show our new studio shots. Okay. But I don't know if Caleb will do it. Caleb, let can me you show see. the shots? Let's see. Uh... Mm, I can show a couple of these other, well, two, two of the cameras. So wait, Susan, I see you over there. All right, so this is a shot Okay, let's show here. that one. That's one. Ooh, nice. That's very cool. Look at that. Look at we gotta that. We got to do color correction. Oh my Look goodness. at that. Nice little fireplace looking oh, set over be, there. That looks nice. That's going to be good. And then- good. Gonna, right, What else we got? When we have other guests wait, that are coming into another into spot. Studio. Oh yeah, wait, she's running to the other spot here. Let's see. That's her spot that we come to see. Oh, notice. wait. So that's going to be the that's Her be camera the is not working. Uh, but this is the corner uh, where the other guests oh, will be. This is going to be our, one of our, our new guest corner. Yeah. I yeah. say uh, the guest should be there. I think that's yeah. when oh, we have yeah. guests in the studio. It should be that seat. And, yeah, it's and not, not really not focused. This one here. It's not really zoomed yeah. out correctly, right but it's, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I take it back. I think it should be the other mic, guys. Caleb, show that up again. Wait. I think it should be the mic over let me see if I can get it over there. I think it should be that oh, yeah. mic as our primary. I might, yeah, switch you guys back and forth looking next at each other. other. Yeah. 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 I don't Possibly know. Possibly even have looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah. There. People get, that's they're getting the, to see some behind be the, the scenes here of the show. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. Right. Here I am over here. So. Oh, yeah. That's an angle they've never right. seen before. Nice. Susan's been working very hard on this, this studio. So it. we appreciate that. And Caleb as well. And uh, all right, everybody, I've got uh, got to run. Uh, again, back Tuesday, 3 o'clock Pacific time. Thank you all for being here. We were watching all, a lot of good kind of, I thought it was kind of good discussions on the restream and the uh, rant today. It was heated. I saw it. Susan, anything come out of that for you? 
No, I love the guy. I follow his his. Um, no, no, no. Substance. I mean, all, all the stuff that was going on. Oh, Paul, you love. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. I, you know, I mean, we had him on last year, and he was saying all this stuff before. Not you know, like this. This was there's clarity. And, he's and, very he's very ambitious, and he really yeah. wants to spread the love. But follow his Substack because he's. He's got a lot of information. All right. Having said all that, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you. We'll see you next Tuesday, 3 o'clock Pacific time. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 